praying is drawing near to the throne of grace. Ever since the fall into sin, when God no longer walked in the garden with us, our sinfulness made it impossible to be in the presence of God without an atoning sacrifice. The mountain where God's glory and his name touched down in in the smoke and in the storm when he gave the law, that was a sacred mountain. And no one could come near it except Moses, the mediator. The most holy place in the tabernacle and the temple was inaccessible to anyone except the high priest who came once a year into that most holy place with the blood of the sacrifice. And he came as a mediator for God's people. This fact, this separation between the holy God and us sinners is the background behind Psalm 5, but also the background of Hebrews 10, which we will read together at the table as well. It's behind all the work of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is, and we know it well, is that Jesus Christ came for the very reason that this access to God that man once had in paradise might be restored. We show how thankful we are for the work of Jesus Christ giving us this access once again when we stop our regular task and we pray to him. We enter into God's presence for Jesus' sake. That's how we pray. That shows that we are thankful for the work that our Lord Jesus Christ has done. And you can see that in Psalm 5, verse 7. That's the emphasis, that the main point of this psalm. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple. Think of those words in light of what we sang in Psalm 15 and Psalm 24. That's a declaration of victory. I will enter your house because of the abundance of your steadfast love. That's the gospel I preach to you. Christ reveals the abundance of God's steadfast love and gives us access to his heavenly throne. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice in the first few verses of Psalm 5 that the attitude of a believer praying to God is like that of a humble subject pleading for the attention of a king. You can see that in verse 2. He's calling God my king and my God. And you'll notice that his words are accompanied with groaning, with, with sighing, with the sound of my cry. Those are words that express the, are given to express what he was coming with the, from his heart. He was coming with the deepest feelings of his heart toward his God. Whether it was a prayer that was offered together with the morning sacrifices that the Israelites would offer every day, or whether it's a prayer that we speak today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the first three verses make it very clear that when we draw near to God, when we enter his presence, we do so with great humility. Verse three says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. And then the second part says, in the morning I get things ready or I lay things in order. 
that can either be a reference to preparing a sacrifice, like we read in the ESV, or to our requests, like you have in the NIV. And, and so the, the, the psalmist is coming to the Lord. He has everything ready to enter into his presence. And then we read at the end, and then I watch. We cry out to God as he has commanded us to do. And we know that he hears us, but then we wait. Psalms, I'll give you a list of Psalms, 27, 31, 33, 37, 38, 39, 40, 52, 62, 69, 106, 130. And I, you don't have to memorize that, but just so you know, there's a lot of Psalms. They all tell us to wait for the Lord. Do you know what it means to wait? Do you know what it means to wait, O oh bearer of smartphones? Do you like waiting? It means you can do nothing to advance your own cause until someone else decides to give you the opportunity. That's what waiting is. It's being helpless. Waiting requires humility. You're not actually as important as you might think you are. We only get upset when someone doesn't reply to our text or email in the first seven seconds after we send it when we think that person ought to think that we are important. But God tells us, you pray to me and then you wait, you watch. Scripture gives many times that the Almighty God tells someone to wait. You could think of Saul with the sacrifices, waiting for Samuel. You could think even of the pregnant sisters in our congregation have to wait nine months to meet the little baby who will be born. God says, when you pray to me, you pray and then watch, then you wait. And waiting can be difficult. Waiting causes us to look to ourselves, to think about who we are. So when we look at verses four to seven, we could see that sometimes we wonder, well, is God really going to hear me? And those verses tell us when God will not listen to your prayer. We learn that God does not delight in the words of the wicked who boast about themselves, who speak lies. We read that God hates those who live in evil, who do evil things. He does not pay attention to hypocrites who, who pray to him while they're bloodthirsty, while they're hurting other people around them. The psalm is, is very clear. You don't have to question whether God might allow somebody with a bloodthirsty spirit to enter into his presence. The psalm says no. In verse 9, the psalm says that the wicked people have throats like open graves, which, which means that, that death is bubbling out through their throats and they try to destroy others with their words, with their tongues. Whether it be lies or gossip or intrigues or, or, or bad counsel or even flattery. That's what the psalm is all mentioning. The point is very clear that if you are living in and loving your sin when you pray to God or even when you draw near unto him in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, you are rebelling 
against the Most High King. He will not be pleased. You will notice then as a response that when we, we have the form for Lord's Supper, the celebration of Lord's Supper, we're reading that that's, we're saying where we stand as we read that. We, we confess as a congregation, we do not have perfect faith. We do not have such zeal as God requires of us. We do not serve him with such zeal as, he, as, as we should. And yet, we say this saying, those things, we believe that we actually have access to God. How can you be sure then that you are not waiting in vain for the Lord? You are watching, how can you be sure that you're watching for something that will never come, that you will never have? How can you be sure that this Lord's Supper is a, is a time of celebration, of comfort and encouragement for you as a believer? We can be sure because of Psalm 5, verse 7, where we read that it is only through the abundance of God's steadfast love that we may enter into the presence of God. Steadfast love, that's a word that speaks of God's faithfulness to his covenant. God's faithfulness, not yours. God's faithfulness to his covenant. God's grace, God's mercy to all those whom he has led by his Holy Spirit to hate their sins. The word steadfast love in the Old Testament, it points forward to the work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the high priest whom we worship, whose sacrifice was acceptable to God and through whom we have access to the Father in heaven. God's steadfast love makes it clear that we can take refuge in the Lord. And so it is with confidence that we say in verse eight, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies you make my way straight before me. Make your way straight before me. Make your way straight before me. What does it mean to, when we are on the straight path? The words, make your way straight before me, mean make it clear to us where we need to go. We pray while your enemies are all around us, they're blabbing away, they're, they're flattering us, they're trying to give us counsel, they're trying to tell us how we should live our lives, they're, they're confusing us with their, with their noise. We pray, God, grant that your word can be clearly understood, that your spirit may be powerfully active, and that we truly know what we need to do next. Make your way straight before me. Clarity of direction, that's what we pray for, not ease, not comfort. We pray for clarity of direction. We pray for peace, that's not the same as a, as a comfortable life. It means walking with the Lord and being sure that we're with the Lord. If it was all about being comfortable and living a life of ease, we would never begin the prayer saying, giving attention to my cry, the sound of my cry, my groaning, my sighing. We pray because we know that God is a good king. He will hear us and he will make our path straight so we're, we know where we need to go when we wait for him. And the last part of the psalm then gives a picture of a believer who's walking on the straight path. You can look at those verses. We see a happy man. We see a man whistling and singing praises to God 
with a shield of God's favor and love protecting him from all harm. When we know where we need to go in Christ, as we draw near to our Father in heaven, we do so with great joy, abundant joy. We can imagine the flutes accompanying the psalm like we saw in the, in the, in the title, that the flutes are changing from the somber to the, the uplifted tune. The believer is exalting in the Lord. It's a wonderful picture. It's, it's a picture of, of joy and peace in the Lord in spite of the dangers, the sadness, the sorrows around us. The church of Christ is famous for singing in the midst of great trials, memorizing the songs since we're young children so that we can sing at any time and in any circumstance. Brothers and sisters, the gospel message is that in Christ Jesus we again have communion with the Most High God in heaven. We have communion that Adam and Eve so joyfully experienced in paradise. We have that renewed and restored in Christ. It's possible to enter into God's presence because of the sacrifice of his son. We can celebrate this fellowship with Christ, this union with Christ today in the sacraments because we receive his grace and his mercy as a foretaste of our eternal glory. In the morning, O Lord, you hear our voice. We prepare ourselves for you, and we wait, we watch. We know that he who promised is faithful. Amen.